0: Let's pray, gracious God. Thank you so much for this day and for the chance to uh, come together. We we pray your blessings on our um, study and work tonight, and we pray that you would speak to us clearly through your Word and through your Holy Spirit. All this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so I, I want to um, talk tonight a little bit about uh, the power of unity, but before we do that. I got stuff from last week I was really excited about, I didn't get to. So we're gonna just put a bow on that hygiene and and, and then kind of go from there. So um, I don't think we need to do all this recap. You kind of know where we've been. Um, I just wanna mention that from last week, we were talking about truth claims. And um, I I talked about three really critical aspects of sort of the pursuit of truth. One of those being, um, you know what are the foundational truths of your life and are they wrapped around Jesus Christ? Um, The second being, that it requires some work to pursue truth, right? A a lot of times it doesn't just show up on our laps. It requires some effort to figure it out. Um, And then, um, you know, what do we do when when truth comes in a form that requires us to change as a rebuke? um, And do we respond um, and adjust our lives to truth or try to adjust the truth to our lives? Um, So, and we ended last week by talking about how to apply those in our lives and sort of in our world more generally. And I wanted to spend just a couple minutes tonight talking about um, two dangers that I blew through last week because I didn't have enough time um, that relate to those truth claims. And, and I think the first danger is the danger that um, Pontius Pilate makes, right, where he's talking to Jesus and he says, what is truth? And I, I get that it's a great deep question, as we talked about last week. But I also think there's a point where Pilate sort of says, Quite literally, says, "I wash my hands of this matter." Right? Ooh, is that where that expression comes from? I don't know. Anyway, he literally washes his hands of the matter. Right? And um, I think this can be dangerous, and, and we do this in all kinds of different ways. Um, we do this sometimes in the church, right, where we say, "Boy, that idea of the Trinity, or the understanding of what happens in Leviticus, or um, the the." idea of how, you know, salvation works is so far beyond me that I'm just going to give up on trying to understand it, right? And and I want to suggest um, we don't have to have perfect understanding, right? But we should always be looking for it. Um, we should be sort of, you know, faithfully seeking understanding and recognizing that while God is infinite and I'll never get all of God, um, I, I want to keep striving towards him and I, as opposed to just giving up and saying, that's too hard for me, right? Um, so I think that's Pilate's mistake. I think he kind of gives up. Uh, and I said last week, we can do this in two ways. Um, we, can, we can choose not to know, right? Boy, yeah, um, I, I guess I could sit down and read that book of the Bible and find out what it says, but I just don't really want to. Or we can know but not act, right? Yeah, I, I, I know it says that um, I'm supposed to share the gospel with people, but it's just uncomfortable and I don't want to, right? And, and so um, the sort of giving up on truth is, is one error I think we can fall into. The other error is sort of the opposite extreme, which is, uh, I called it overdoing it. Um, but in the idea of pursuit of truth, we can, we can pursue truth beyond a reasonable boundary, right? Um, and so I, I mentioned last week that in the church, a great example of this in the early church was, was Gnosticism. And uh, the the heresy of Gnosticism was basically the idea that there was secret knowledge, Gnostic um, Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge, right? So secret knowledge you needed to have to go to heaven. Um, And there are really interesting Gnostic um, books that did not make it into the Bible because they're all heretical, but have weird ideas. So one of those is the Gospel of Thomas. Gospel of Thomas is written after the Bible. So it's around the second century AD that it's written. And um, it talks a lot about this pursuit of secret knowledge. And um, it ends, one of my favorite endings of any heretical book, it ends um, with some women and the women are saying, we want the secret knowledge too. And the men say, well, women can't go to heaven. And then Jesus says, yes, but they will all become men. And then they can. Um, So that sounds terrible for all the reasons. Um, But but that idea, right, of boy, I'm just going to keep looking for the secret knowledge. It's not enough to know that Jesus died for me. And rose again for me. I got to have something extra, right? And pursuing beyond the reasonable bounds is is, um, so. The easy example I thought that was fun is you know I love a good conspiracy theory, right? But conspiracy theories are all rooted in the idea of overdoing it. Um, And um, I I I read this interesting thing a few weeks ago about um, conspiracy theories by a guy named Joseph. You, I'm going to say his name wrong, Asensky who's a associate professor of political science at the University of Miami. Um, and he had, I just thought these were fun. He says, um, conspiracy theories are for losers. Um, not losers in the pejorative sense, but literally losers. People who tend to lose money or lose influence or lose elections or whatever, um, tend to go for conspiracy theories, right? So he talks about how um, when Bill Clinton was president, this is from his book, the principal conspiracy tales involved, stories of Clintonian cocaine dealing in Arkansas and the alleged murder of a presidential friend and confidant Vince Foster. Once George W. Bush took over, so did new conspiracy fables, this time involving Vice President Dick Cheney, Halliburton Energy and the Blackwater Protection Company masterminding the Iraq war in order to seize the nation's oil. Um, So his point is um, that when we feel on the outside looking in, we tend to sort of overdo the search for truth to the point of, of, like looking for things that don't make sense anymore. Um, uh, And then um, uh, there's a proportionality, this is just fun stuff for me. There's an idea of a proportionality bias, right? Which means um, when something really dramatic happens, I think there has to be an equally dramatic cause. Um, So the the easy example is the difference between the, the shooting of Ronald Reagan and the shooting of JFK, right? As far as I know, there are no conspiracy theories about the shooting of Ronald Reagan. And that's because he didn't die, right? So it's, it's okay for us, it's not okay, but it doesn't rock our world if somebody tries to kill the president and fails, right? But if someone tries to kill the president and succeeds, that's such an incredible, enormous, immense act that we think there must be an equally incredible, enormous, immense explanation. Um, So we do this in our own lives right when 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 things go the way we think they're going to go um, We're fine with it But when things don't go the way we think they're going to go we have to look for these really complicated explanations, right? Um, uh, And then um, What's that? I forgot what that one was. Uh, Oh, right Um, He talks about group affiliation and the idea that um, the more people buy into a theory the harder it is to opt out right so the the more of your friends are convinced never landed on the moon the harder it is for you to start saying, I think we did land on the moon, right? Um, So, uh, uh, and then he talks a little bit about the negative effects of the internet and social media, how they can spread these things quickly. Um, For, to my mind, I think the challenge for us is to say, in the pursuit of truth, um, I don't wanna go too far, and I don't wanna go too short, right? I don't wanna just give up and say, I'll never figure it out, nor do I wanna say, yeah, I got the message, but it doesn't seem believable, so I'm gonna invent crazy things, right? Uh, and so part of the work of of the Christian in, in discerning truth claims is to say, um, what's the right distance to run in the pursuit of truth? Does that kind of make sense? Okay, nod your heads. Shake, shake your heads. Stare me blankly. Okay, good. Um, all right, I know that's not our real focus tonight. Um, I just wanted to get that in there. And I really um, um, think conspiracy theories are fun. And I, if we had more time, we'd talk about them more, but we don't, so here we go. Um, all right. Oh, and I did want to say this from last week. We ended with this last week. I just wanted to reiterate it um, because I think it's so important. Um, We talked last week about how we discerned the truth and um, that um, truth dumping on people is not terribly effective, right? It's very rare that you can argue someone into your um, point of view, Um, but um, truth demonstration is much more effective, right? So if I want to show you about the love of Jesus, um, it's going to be much more effective if... The story of Jesus becomes accompanied with a life that looks like Jesus, right? Um, I think that's pretty intuitive, but I still find myself trying to argue people to my position all the time. So, and therefore, I mention it again. Okay. Um, any thoughts or questions about about the truth conversation before we move on tonight? Okay, we're gonna keep going. Um, so tonight, I want to talk about the power of unity, and um, I want to think a little bit about sort of what brings people together uh, and, and how we find unity. And we're going to talk mostly actually about the church tonight, but I do want to try to get beyond the church a little bit. Um, so um, there's a, a lot of social research on, on bringing people together, and a lot of it centers around this idea of strong ties and weak ties. So we've talked about this before, and, and, but just as a reminder, a strong tie is a deep personal connection with another person. Right? So that could be like with your friend, your best friend or your spouse or um, a coworker you see every day, or a, a child or, or a, somebody that you are in regular communication with that's a, a close personal connection. Okay? And obviously, our strong ties are our, our, most, our deepest uh, interpersonal connections. But I, you can't have but so many of those, right? So I know mean, human's only capable of but so many of those relationships. Um, so, the other thing that sociolo- sociologists talk about often is weak ties. And weak ties are the majority of our human uh, connections. So, um, you, you have weak ties with the, the PTA that you're a part of, or the social club that you go to once a month, if it's the Rotary Club you go to, right? You have weak ties um, with uh, Facebook um, groups that you're on. Um, though you may have strong ties in the church, you also have weak ties in the church, right? So you have people in the church that are really close friends that you do a lot with and you have people in the church that you see once a week and you really love seeing them once a week, but you don't know a lot about their life beyond that, you know, 15 minute interaction, but you enjoy it, right? Um, Weak ties are how large groups of people come together, right? Because again, I can only have, but so many close, close friends. Um, so a, a couple of, of ways those weak ties happen that I think are really interesting for us to think about. Um, one of those is, is what I would call tribal identity. Um, and, 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 and tribal identity is um, a, a weak tie that we intentionally reinforce. Okay? Um, so for example, um, uh, if you were ever in a fraternity or a sorority, right? Um, that was a tribal identity. Like they, 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 um, you didn't really know that, the, that group of 30 or 40 or 50 people super well. Maybe you did eventually, right? But right in the door, they wanted you to act like you were really close, and they worked hard to build that tribal identity. Um, if you are a really hardcore Packer fan, right, you have some tribal identity around cheering for the Packers. Um, if you are a really hardcore Duke Blue Devil fan, Um, we share some really important tribal identity, right? Um, And and that idea uh, of of a weak tie that's intentionally reinforced is really meaningful. Um, And I would say on some level, being American is a tribal identity, right? Being a Wisconsinite is a tribal identity. Being Presbyterian is a tribal identity, right? It's a weak tie that we intentionally reinforce in a variety of ways, okay? the the other kind of weak tie that I think is really inter- and I and by the way these are positive things I, I think this is a very positive thing um, though of course you could see how it could be used for negative right um, like if you were a Vikings fan or something that would obviously be bad right whereas okay sorry um, so uh, the the other way that we can form weak ties um, is is what I would call an, an us versus them mentality right and, and, and this can happen. Really powerfully and quickly. So, whereas a tribal identity in general takes some time to build up, right? You have to—you don't just walk in and become a Packers fan. You build it over time. You don't just walk in and become, um, you know, passionate about your country. You grow that over time. An us versus them mentality <clears throat> can happen super fast. So, the the easiest example I can give you of this is that um, in the presidential election in 1940, um, both presidential <laughs> candidates, including FDR, who won his third term. Were rapidly anti-war, at least in their public persona. Right? There was no pro-war candidate in that presidential election because the American public, to the tune of like 95% of the public, wanted to stay out of World War II. Um, jump ahead, just a matter of months, when Japan bar- bombs Pearl Harbor, right? And um, the, the the American public shifts dramatically, and we are all in in the idea of um, joining on the side of the allies in World War II, right? And and just, you know, f- five or six years later, there was an author who was writing a book about FDR and talking about how um, he, he maneuvered us into this war. And whether it was true or not, there was massive pushback against that author because at that point, we had so dramatically changed our public opinion that to not be in World War II would be in, 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 in inconceivable, right? Um, what happened was it was an us versus them mentality, right? We, for a while, the us was, um, you know, we don't want to go to war. And all of a sudden, um, we were attacked and we come together as a country. And now the us becomes not just us, but also the allies, right? And it, um, 9-11 was a similar thing, right? Where uh, our nation was somewhat divided and then we were attacked. And then all of a sudden we came together. And obviously the attack was horrible, but the coming together was kind of a good thing, right? Um, the challenge that I come up with is, um, you know, how do you bring people together without having to have an enemy? Um, there's a, there's a, um, I'm probably the only one who's ever read this, but there's a comic book that's considered one of the, the, the greatest comic book of all time called The Watchmen, okay? And there's a movie by the same name, which is not very good. And, uh, I'm gonna give away the ending of the comic book because I don't think anybody here is gonna run out and buy that comic book tomorrow. Um, so the, the, the um, comic book ends with an engineered war. So it's set in the 1980s in an alternative future. And we're on the cusp of actually going to war with the Soviet Union, right? And much more so than in the real world, right? In this comic book world, it's, it's like going to happen. And so um, this genius villain, superhero guy, Um, engineers an attack on New York City and makes it look like an alien attack and kills millions of people and in so doing unites the whole world against this hypothetical alien invasion and averts World War III where billions of people might have died, right? And it's a a fascinating story about, you know, um, what is okay and not okay to do for the greater good, right? Right. what I want to think about is, is there there some way for us to come together in that powerful way that doesn't require there to be an enemy we're coming together against, right? Okay. Um, So um, with that little bit of background, I want to talk about particularly Jesus's call for us to come together because I think it's not quite a tribal identity and it's not really an us versus them identity. It's something different. Um, So if you've got your Bibles and you could flip to to John chapter seventeen. John 17 is the, the last prayer that Jesus prays to, uh, with the disciples before he, is, um, uh, before he departs for the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, it's a beautiful, long prayer, but I'm going to pick up with verse 18 of chapter 17, where Jesus says, and he's talking, of course, to his Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Okay, I know in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks in these uh, these sort of cyclical patterns, um, but I think this is a really interesting moment for a whole bunch of reasons. So I'm going to ask you to actually talk about this together in some groups. And I want you to answer, um, uh, if you can, if you get to them, three things, okay? So the first is, um, what is distinctive about Christian unity, according to Jesus? Um, what does he say about, about our kind of unity? What's the goal of Christian unity? So why does he want us to come together? What? Why is this even a good thing for us to do? Um, And how is the union of the Father and the Son similar to the union of Christian sisters and brothers? Um, So I'm going to read just part of this one more time and then break you off into groups, okay? So um, with those questions in mind, Jesus says, I'm just going to read from verse 20 this time. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even even as you have loved me. What do you guys say is unique about about Christian unity? What what makes that special or different or distinct? Our belief in the resurrection. Okay. Our belief in the resurrection is central to what we believe, absolutely, to who we are as Christians. I love it. Great. What else?
1: When we become Christians, we accept the Holy Spirit within us. Therefore, we are one, we are in unity with God, the father and God, the son, because the spirit lives within us. So by virtue of the fact that we say we're Christians, we are one. Okay. I really love that. that. Yeah. We don't act that way all the time, but that's the
0: way it should be. That's the goal. Right. I love it. That's great. And that ties into what somebody in this group was saying earlier that, you know, we are the Bible talks about us being the body of Christ. We are literally the body, right? Like you know, we get that again and again and again. Um, sure. Christ has no body now on earth, but ours, right? Is, is that beautiful song that we sing. Um, and it's the spirit that binds the body together. Just like your spirit keeps your body working, right? God's spirit keeps his body working on earth. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Um, ooh, that, that's really good. Okay. Um, what's the goal of Christian unity? Um, Herb, what did what did you say? I liked your answer. What's that? To glorify God. To glorify God. And but you said something else, particularly um, from verse twenty one. You quoted verse twenty one, I think. Um, That
2: the world may believe.
0: That the world may believe. Okay, great. So so somehow um, Jesus says this twice, right? Um, In verse twenty one, and again in verse twenty three. That somehow our unity. Is connected to the world believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ
2: and that's the forgiveness really
0: and the forgiveness of sins. Say, say it again, Greg. The forgiveness of our sins and the forgiveness of our sins is connected to that as well. Absolutely. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and that's part of the. I mean, that's part of the gospel, right? You know. That. that, that yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um. Okay, we're going to come back to that. That's really interesting to me. Um, that somehow our union um is is also related to our witness okay um what about this last this last one is a hard one right um he says a couple of times in here uh, jesus says um as verse 21 as you father are in me and i am in you may they also be in us um and then he says in verse 23 right i and them and you and me verse 22 he says so that they may be one as we are one um so in what way are we um, and our love for each other similar to God's love within the Trinity? Um, that's a really hard question. Any ideas?
2: We're born in the, in the image of, um, of God.
0: Okay, so we are image bearers of God. And as much as we um, um, act as God acts and loving each other, right, we are acting out the, the behavior of God. Okay, that's great. I love it. Yeah, good. In, in this commentary that I'm kind of looking at, it talks about um, not only um, in this passage, Christ, or talking about humankind, but also his creation. So there's a hole in creation. There's a hole in humankind. And um, just like that reference to the body, um, we don't take one part of that creation out and say we can't honor it. And
2: we can't take one brother or sister out because we don't agree with them or their philosophy in general, you know, we disagree with.
0: That's great. Okay. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. Um, I guess I could make an argument that the goal of God creating everything was so that we could be um, it, that we could exist within the love of the trinity right that god made us for relationship with himself that god is a relationship between the father the son and the spirit and that we were designed to be part of that relationship right that the whole story of salvation is how we screwed that up and then god loved us anyway and he found a way to make us right and and us to be back in right relationship with him because of christ and that the goal of the christian life is to get back into right relationship with god through jesus right um in which case um like my goal is to love everybody else and love god the way god loves himself and loves everybody else right um and if i do that well even for a minute i'm i'm living the identity of god i'm living my purpose i'm living that's why god made me to do that stuff um that's it's really interesting for me i think we 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 think in individual terms very often about salvation and about forgiveness and whatever else um but i think god thinks in this in this um interpersonal term right that it's it's not just me and jesus it's me and jesus and me and you right uh and that union um is really critical because that's who god is he's not just one guy right he's three persons um who isn't a i keep saying he's not a boy but anyway um okay so um uh I would think a little bit more about how Jesus plays with this calling to become one. Um, and he does a couple of things I think are distinctive that are different, but similar to the way the world um, does those weak ties things we were talking about. Um, I don't think that Jesus has an us and them mentality. Um, I would say he has an us for them mentality, which is really different. Right? So um, we read verse 18 where Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, So I have sent them into the world. So in in John, we have a lot of language about, you know, the world, right? And the world is usually negative, right? The world represents people who have not yet come into relationship with God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And he sent Jesus into the world. Now Jesus is sending us into the world. He's not saying go and defeat them, right? It's not like us versus Japan, This is go and win them to to yourselves, right? Go invite them in. Um, We exist for them, right? We exist for the world, which is really really different. They're not our enemies; Um, they're our um, lost sisters and brothers. Um, I I also think it's really interesting how Jesus um, creates a new tribal identity, um, but the the tribal identity he makes is. Um, um, completely original, right? It's made out of all the others. So uh, we're not going to do it right now, but, but later when you have time, um, go back and read some of the lists in scripture of the apostles. So I listed the one from Luke, right? Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Um, and when you read those carefully, you think about what an incredible group of people Jesus has. So he has a guy named Matthew, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman government, who, um, so they were traitors in that sense, um, who collected money from their fellow Jews, usually more than they were supposed to. That's how they got rich. And they gave some of it to Rome, and they kept some of it for themselves. Right? Um, so, so Matthew is, is a, a Roman accomplice in the occupation of his people. He's got a guy named Simon. Right? Simon is a zealot. Right? The zealots were a group of militaristic Jews who regularly um, advocated for a, a, a war with Rome and who occasionally assassinated people like Matthew, right? Uh, and, and the idea that Simon and Matthew are sitting at uh, the feet of Jesus on a regular basis is incredible. Right? You got a guy named Peter. Peter, who's in um, at least middle-aged, right? Probably at least in his 30s. We don't know how old Peter is. Um, but established and a regular business guy and uh, a fisherman, and you got James and John who are teenagers, who are um, you know they're teenagers. You know what teenagers are like. Um, and and Peter and James and John end up becoming his three best friends. Imagine if your two two of your three best friends were in high school, right? <laughs> Just not a normal way that friendships work at our ages, right? Um, Jesus makes this new tribe and all these diverse people. It includes, radically, it includes women, right? Which no other rabbi ever did before Jesus, uh, and, and many still don't do. Um, it, it, what brings them together is Christ, right? It's not their political affiliation. It's not their religious affiliation. It's not their job. It's not their age. It's not their career. It's just Jesus, right? They are all so compelled so overwhelmed by this extraordinary person um, that it is enough to create a new identity around. Um, and I think what keeps them together, especially after Jesus ascends to heaven, is, is um, what somebody said already, is the Holy Spirit, right? Is, is, is Jesus living inside them, right? So it's, it's Jesus alive in front of them that draws them together. It's Jesus alive inside them that keeps them together. And it's a whole new way to think about unity right a whole new way to think about being a people together um uh so i I, want to think just real quick about what that looks like for us to be a people who are drawn together by jesus and um, what it means for us to be people that are held together by the 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 spirit of christ living inside us and um I've, i've shared this with you guys before but i think there's some really interesting work being done about group identity like how do we define what it means to be part of our group And and I'm going to use the terms delineation versus orientation. So delineation just means um, I'm making some rules. Um, So here's my my really beautiful artwork you're going to see. Okay. So uh, this is delineation, right? That um, here's my box and um, everybody inside the box is a Christian. and Everybody outside the box is a non-Christian. And so that might mean, you know, you go to church on Sundays. I can, I can define my box however I want, right? Go to church on Sundays and um, you don't cuss or chew or go with girls who do. Or, I mean, I can come up with all kinds of rules, right, that define my box. And some folks have very thick walls, right? I mean, really complicated rules about who's in and who's out. Um, who gets to be with Jesus and who doesn't. Um, and, and this is interesting not totally wrong but i think a little problematic and i think this is how pharisees envisioned identity right they said hey you're only a jew uh, if you do all these rules it's all about following all the rules right and if you break even one of them then you're out Um, i really like this idea of of group identity not by delineation but by orientation and what i mean by that is um, what's your perspective on jesus Oh, and my little Zoom thing is messing up my graphic here. Uh, Can I, there we go. Okay, you can see it better. Um, So a lot of group theory talks about orientation and it says, basically, um, are you moving towards or away from some center of group identity? So I love this idea that maybe being Christian doesn't mean I'm in this box and I follow all the perfect rules and do all the right things. Maybe being a Christian means I'm moving towards Jesus. Just like Simon and Peter and James and John and Matthew and all the apostles and all the women and everyone who followed Jesus, maybe it's not about have I checked all the boxes. Maybe it is like, am I in love with Jesus or not? And so I might feel like I'm really far from a Christian life. Right? You might look at me and say, "Boy, uh, a lot of lot of tattoos, and he's always smoking, and he seems to be drinking a lot." and he cusses like a sailor, and um, he doesn't seem like he knows anything about the Bible, and he's never gone to church. A um, boy, he is really into Jesus. That's all he wants to talk about. And he seems to be like, like I might be really far from Jesus, but moving towards him. Right? Or I might be a Pharisee. right? I might be really, really close to Jesus in terms of following all the rules and walking the walk and you know talking the talk. Um, but I'm not that into it. Jesus himself, right? Like I just like the rules and I like being a good person. And I, um, so I might be really close, but moving away from him. Right? Um, and, and I would suggest um, that what ties the early church together in such a powerful way is, is, is their love for Jesus, right? It's that they are all in on this extraordinary person, um, both in his lifetime and then um, when he lives inside them. Um, and it really changes how we think about what it means to be a, a union if we say you don't all have to look like me and act like me for us to be together, right? What brings us together is our love for Jesus. Is that kind of that distinction makes some sense to people. Um, okay, um, ask me a question. Yeah, please. You
2: have a scripture basis for
0: that. Yeah, um, the question is, do I have a scripture basis for that? So I would argue this is the whole story of the gospel, right? So as you read the gospels, you have a lot of people that are very far from God that fall in love with Jesus, right? <clears throat> it's uh, you know the, the um, woman who is a known sinner who takes an alabaster jar and pours perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes him with her hair, right? And everyone says, oh my gosh, how can you touch her? She's a sinner. Um, it's the, um, the lepers that are ritually unclean and the woman with the 12 year bleed. And it's all these people that are um, on the outside of the religious community that fit really well with Jesus. And it's all the people that are on the inside of the religious community, right, who are very much in a defined box, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, who don't connect with Jesus, right? Because while they follow the rules, they're not in love with the person. Um, So I, I actually think as we read those stories of Jesus, you see this again and again and again, right? That it's not about rule following, it's about person following. One of my favorite stories um, in the the Gospels is when Jesus is asked what are the greatest commandments. And remember, he says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And then there's a, this is in the Gospel of Mark. There's a, a young man who asks the question who comes back and says, yeah, Jesus, good answer. I think those are the most important two. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's such a weird response, right? Because it seems positive, right? You're not far from the kingdom of God. But he doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God, right? You're still on the outside looking in. You're just getting closer. And I think what Jesus wants to say is, it's great that you can summarize the rules. But the rules don't define this kingdom of God thing I'm doing. It's more than just rules, right? Um, It's really about a relationship. It's about a relationship fundamentally with me, Jesus, um, and until you have that relationship, the the rules aren't necessarily helping you that much. That kind of makes sense.
2: Well, I was just, uh, you know, I, I believe the relationship makes us different from all religions. Yes. And, and that's what we have unique. Yes. And if we have that relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in Him, uh, then, then we have something very much in common. Yes. How that relationship affects our lives, you know, delegate, you know, what association we have in the
0: world. Uh, I'm just going to repeat for people. So Herb said, um, uh, that relationship is what makes us unique, right? As Christians, the relationship with Jesus is what makes us distinct from other religions, which are mostly, um, or I think this is fair to say that mostly about rule following, right? And um, what that relationship means for us—I mean, it will affect our life. It will affect how we live. Um, so it's not—I um, can't tell my wife I love her and also um, cheat on her and ignore her, and you know I, that doesn't work. So do
2: you love her then? When you do?
0: So that's the question, right? So can can well can I um, be in relationship with Jesus and still be making mistakes? Yes. Definitively, yes. Um, Peter does, right, and Paul does, and all the apostles do when they abandon Jesus at his at his arrest. Um, and this is what makes it different, right? They don't get kicked outside the box because they even when they deny Jesus, they don't get kicked outside the box, right? Because they're still moving towards him, um, and they end up very much moving towards him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, yeah. Go ahead. I got in a conversation with the friend of mine one time about that very passage and when jesus said you are not far from the kingdom of god yes it was the proximity between the man and jesus and jesus's point was you're not far from the kingdom of god right now i'm standing here but the young man
0: didn't get it totally agree right he when jesus uses that language very often and he's saying i am anywhere the king is The kingdom exists, right? I am the king, therefore the kingdom of God is everywhere I am. Come follow me, right? Come follow me, come follow me. Um, Okay. Um, Oh gosh. Uh, I'm going to skip. I'm just going to, we're going to go past that because I don't have time. Um, So I want to suggest that the the core of Christian unity is the love of Jesus, right? And I mean two things about that I mean my love for Jesus and Jesus' love for me. Uh, and that what binds the church together, what makes us, um, from the very earliest days when we were, you know, a bunch of people following Jesus around in Palestine until today, is God's love for me in Christ Jesus and my love for Jesus. Um, and so um, what I wanted to do, oh gosh, but I got all wordy. Um, okay. Um, I, I'm, we're going to have to do this differently than I originally planned. I was going to have you break up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us together. Um, but, but I think these are really important questions that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis um, as we try to reconnect with Jesus and, and this idea of being this union is, what do you love about Jesus, right? What's so compelling about Jesus? And, and I think this is a question you ought to ask yourself on a regular basis, right? I mean, what do I love about Jesus today? It doesn't always have to be the same answer, right? I might wake up some days and say, I love Jesus because I looked out my window and he made this unbelievable world for me to live in. It might be some days where I realize I have really screwed up something important. And I say, I love Jesus because he forgives me when nobody else could or would or should. Um, It might be that uh, I love Jesus because um, today I woke up and I said a prayer and I realized that the only reason I get to talk to God directly is because of what Jesus has done for me, right? That For thousands of years, people were not allowed to do that. And now I get to. Um, But reconnecting with why I love Jesus and how Jesus loves me is really critical in our personal lives, but also as we come together as a people of God. Um, And then the second thing I think that's really important for us, again, Jesus says, um, you know, that our love for each other is like the love of the Father and the Son. Um, What do we love about his people? what do we love about the church and this is harder right because the church is not always um easy to love sometimes we are right sometimes we do great stuff and you just say i love the church i love my church sometimes you see uh, a pastor on the news hopefully it's not your pastor but you see a pastor on the news and you think man you are giving us a bad name um what do you love about the church is a really good question to ask yourself on a regular basis um, because it's the core of our Christian unity, right? That we that we love and are loved by Christ, and that we love each other and are loved by each other. Um, so uh, I was going to make you that in, 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 um, in groups, but I just want to ask you to think about that this week, right? Where, where what does that love look like for you? Because um, I really want to get on to the power uh, of Christian unity, um, and I, and I love what Jesus says here. Um, Jesus says, um, and, and we mentioned this earlier, right? And, and that. Um, the world may believe that you have sent me because of the unity of the people of God. And again, um, that they may see us be completely one, and the world will know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Um, and this idea that, um, that we model what God is like to the world, including the fact that God is this perfect loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? Right? We're supposed to model that to the world. Um, we struggle with this as Protestants, right? Um, maybe Catholics do too. I've never been Catholic, but, but Protestants really struggle with this. Um, and we struggle with it because we say, well, but here's my box. You're not in my box, so I'm not sure you're on my team. Um, and that's why we have, I don't even know how many Christian denominations. And I think there's, I think there's still something like 16 or maybe it's 17 Presbyterian denominations just in our country alone. That's just pres- types of Presbyterian, right? Because what we do is we, we get together and we argue about something and we say, well, if we can't agree on that, let's just go to our separate ways. And we've been doing that for hundreds of years, right? Since the Reformation, we keep going our separate ways. Um, when you become an elder or a deacon or a pastor in our denomination, we ask you to take a whole bunch of vows. You heard Jay St. Clair do this on Sunday. One of those is do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? I really like this question because it's super hard to do. How do you further unity and purity at the same time? Right? I mean, it's really hard to do. Um, but what I love about it is that it recognizes they're at least equally important. I think as Protestants, we don't usually think that, right? We're all in on the purity, right? Let's make sure we have the right theology. And if you don't understand about what's happening at the Lord's table the way I understand what's happening at the Lord's table, you know, well, let's just have a fight over it. Um, but but recognizing that our unity, like being together as the people of God, is at least as important as our purity, is a really powerful thing. And um, I just think we as Protestants struggle with that. Um, and and how are we called to model? Christian unity to the world. Um, I remember uh, when I was in when I was in college, we had a, um, I think we had fourteen different Christian ministries on campus, and um, we some friends of mine got a heart for saying we shouldn't be competitors, but it shouldn't be like. You know, universities trying to get members and FCA is trying to get members and the Presbyterian campus ministry and the Baptist campus ministry are trying to get members. It should be, hey, we are co laborers, right? We're all in this work together to love our campus into Christ's arms. And so um, we put on a whole bunch of events that all of our ministries co uh, operated on. It was really cool stuff. But I gotta tell you, it was like pulling teeth, right? Um, Because it wasn't anybody's priority. Nobody's first goal was let's get all the Christians to show unity on campus, right? Our first goal was, hey, let's make sure we get a couple new Presbyterian members so our Presbyterian group keeps growing. I wasn't opposed to that, right? Um, but I thought, boy, is that our only goal? Just to be Presbyterians? Um, I also believe that our unity is transformational in and of itself. Um, and, and I think this is really obvious, but really important. Um, the, the Christian church in the early days in the Roman empire was radical because it brought together groups of people that never came together in almost any other social situation as equals. So it brought Jews and Gentiles together. Remember that most Jews believed it was immoral to be in a Gentiles home or to have a meal with a Gentile. So how radical was it that the main thing the early church did for worship was have meals together, right? And it was Jews and Gentiles together. Um, the early church brought slaves and free people together in the same churches, right? Like, like, I mean, it's awkward to talk about, but like I'm a slave and Herb is my master and you know, we're having church together and I'm reading the scripture, then Herb's reading the scripture. Right. And then I'm saying a prayer that he's saying a prayer and, and he doesn't say, Hey Jim, no, no, you're a slave. You shouldn't talk here. That is unbelievably radical. The, the early church brought together women and men. Right. And, 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 in a time, especially in Jewish culture, but also in Gentile culture, where women were considered to be second-class citizens at best, a lot of churches are led by women, right? So when Paul says, in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for all are one in Christ Jesus our Lord, he means it literally. Like, I literally see this on a Sunday morning, right? And it is a, is a radical idea that changes the course of human history, right? Not just the Roman Empire. Um, that union um, was only possible because Jesus was at the center. And the love for Jesus was so strong that it overcame all those divisions. Right? Um, so I just want to suggest to you that our union is, is not just a neat idea. right? It is one of God's primary ways that he advances the gospel and the kingdom of God on, on, on earth, is our love for each other as Christians. Okay. Sure. Yeah, go please. That
1: that begs the question: if that was the early church and that's the way it all got started, and it did in fact change the course of human history, when did the wheels come off the bus? <laughs> because yeah. it it went wrong somewhere. There's denominations and factions that don't allow women as elders or pastors. Uh, I mean, in in society, uh, slavery, and not not letting slaves or black folks and churches. It, when did the wheels come off the bus?
0: Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Um, I have an opinion on that. It's not like a Bible opinion, it's just a Jim Gates opinion. But my opinion on that is um, that in the fourth century, when Constantine becomes emperor and legalizes religion and then um, a few emperors later Christianity becomes the mandated the normative religion of the Roman Empire this thing that was a movement becomes an institution and people that were joining this movement because they were in love with Jesus start joining the movement because it is politically expedient or socially expedient to do so and the inner connection between, between the Roman government and the Christian church becomes more and more complicated. And um, over time, it, it just becomes easier to be a Christian than not, which isn't a good reason to be a Christian, right? And so we end up with a union that's no longer rooted in the love of Jesus for us and us for him. It's rooted in all kinds of other complicated things, um, and and I think it erodes our, erodes our message, right? When our union is rooted in the wrong stuff,
1: so that's my that personal be, opinion. Could that be the birth of what we call organized religion? Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. yeah um, I
2: think it started when Rome decided that's where the headquarters is
0: going to be. Uh, the, the comment is it started when Rome decided that's where the headquarters is going to be. Yeah. So there there is a, a um, the, we're, we're off topic, but it's an interesting topic. Um, There's another line of reasoning that says um, as the Bishop of Rome. um, So uh, very, very short version. So the Pope's the Bishop of Rome, right? Uh, In the early church, there were five people called patriarchs who were bishops of particularly important cities. And over time, the Bishop of Rome came to be known as sort of the first among equals of those five patriarchs. And... um, as time passed, that, that primacy became more and more explicit until they became the Pope, right? Not just the first among equals, but the Pope. And um, certainly there's an argument to be made that the centralization of power and authority in one figure and then the bureaucracy that was necessary to support that one figure um, was not a, a super healthy thing. Yeah. Um, okay, sorry, now we're, in the, now we're talking about the Pope. Um, and I, 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 I oh, okay sorry um, so I, I guess um, I want to ask some questions if we're all in uh, on this idea of the power of Christian unity um, I, I recognize that is the the number one and two and three and four and fifth priority um, but is there a way that some of those ideas of Christian unity can be relevant in other communities that we're a part of right? So can we appropriately apply any of our Christian unity principles to other group identities is, is my question. Um, and this isn't my main goal, but I think it's just interesting to talk about. Um, so uh, and again, this is going to be a breakout group, but I only have two minutes, so it can't be. I'm so sorry. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about uh, which tribes are helpful and which are not, right? So in terms of tribal identity, um, there may be tribes in my life that um, from a Christian perspective are really healthy and good, right? And, and that can be simple things like, you know, a, being a sports fan is good. It's not bad. It's not ugly. It, it's great. Um, but it could be, uh, you know, I might choose to be part of something like Rotary Club, right? Rotary Club is a good thing um, that advances social causes in my community and fits nicely with my Christian faith, right? And so that might be a tribe that I'm happy to be a part of. Um, and I might look at other tribes and say, I'm not happy to be a part of that, right? That, that doesn't advance the cause of Christ. No and, and So that's an initial filter for me. Um, and then I think, boy, in my, in my secular associations, is there a way to grow an us-for-them identity instead of an us-versus-them identity? Um, and this is really hard to do, right? Uh, there have been seasons in our country where I think we did try this, right? Where as a whole nation, we said, um, we want to be for um, some other country. And, 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 um, but it, it's hard, right? It is hard. And and having an enemy is an easy way to unite. And so uh, as the people of God saying, boy, can we unite in other ways? Can we unite in our advocacy to help people rather than um, to defeat people? It, it's just a hard question. Um, can we think about what it means to be part of our group in a different way? Whether that's our, um, you know, our our club or our political party or our country or our state or whatever else, um, what does it mean to be a member? I, I, so I just as an interesting thing, I thought, you know, what if, um, uh, what if I come into this country and I have a deep love for the idea of democracy and a deep knowledge of American history. And I love um, the founding fathers and whatever else, but I'm brand new, I just walked in the door. Um, or um, what if I've been here my whole life and my parents got off the Mayflower and whatever else, but uh, you know, I take it all for granted, right? And I just doesn't matter to me. I've never read anything about the founding fathers. I don't really care about that stuff. I don't bother to vote, whatever else. Um, all Americans right but but boy, it seems like the the one that 's got all the qualifications from the Mayflower or whatever else is really not treasuring something really good right they 're moving away even though they 've started close, and somebody who 's a brand new American um, maybe is moving towards because they value the so thinking about what what it means to be part of a group in, in that way is really interesting for me um, oh i didn 't even get to this in our conversation. Um, one definition is critical just means um, when you're doing that group identity thing, if, if, if you're moving towards or away from something, the one thing you absolutely have to define is what's at the center, right? So if being a Christian means I'm moving towards Jesus and being a non-Christian means I'm moving away from Jesus, I got to define who Jesus is, right? Maybe I don't have to define every, um, you know, maybe I don't have to know every, page from the book of revelation and whatever else but i gotta know who jesus is and we have have to have an agreement about who jesus is so that we know if i'm moving towards him or not right for you know for me jesus is both fully human and fully god if for you jesus is human but not god then when you're moving towards that jesus we're not going to the same place (laughs) right so you got to have some one definition that's critical that that gives that that identity um And then the last thing I would just say is, uh, unity has value even without purity. Um, And I just think about our country in this season and how deeply divided we are about, like every political issue there is. And I I don't want to belittle the significance of those debates, but I do think that unity has value even without purity, right? That there is some value of just being a country of Americans together um, on, on some core principles which we share and we can disagree on a whole host of things and it's worth arguing and debating. But at the end of the day, I'm still really proud to be American, right? And To be American with somebody who's of a different party or of no party or, and maybe that has value for us just in itself, right? Um, okay, I'm so sorry. I went through a lot of stuff. I'm still over time. Uh, so let me, let me just stop. Thoughts or comments or questions about um, this, this idea of, of unity tonight, especially as we of the church are called to be one.
2: Maintain unity with so many opinions that are not Christ centered. Yes. Uh, I had a, a veteran that coffee this morning.
0: Uh huh.
2: I'll say this gently is I don't understand how a Catholic can be a Democrat. He, no, he was a, a, a Catholic himself. Uh huh. And he said, because the abortion issue is significant
0: in the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. The, the, the comment is, um, I'm going to try to say all that to the, for the group. Um, it's difficult to maintain unity with so many different opinions. And he was having a conversation with somebody, and the co- comment was, you know, how can uh, th- this is just the comment from the conversation. I'm not making the comment. How can you be a Catholic and be a Democrat um, because of the issue of abortion? Um, yeah. I guess to me, this is part of the challenge, right, of, of Christian unity, is how do we say, um, how do we define that center as narrowly as possible, right? So that if that center is Jesus, and you're moving towards Jesus, we might have some pretty powerful disagreements about things. Um, and my path to Jesus could be really different from your path to Jesus. But if you're going there, Um, we have this unbelievably important thing in common. Um, If you're not going there, the other things we have in common, we might be the same political party. We might agree on all these issues, but what we have less in common than I do with that guy who disagrees with me everything except for Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the main thing for me. Um, But that's hard. Um, And I have to reinforce for myself that Jesus is the main thing and not let all the other things that I care about greatly become the main thing. Because right? then that then I lose that union. Absolutely, yeah. Great point. Other comments I, or questions? Oh,
3: I'm not sure if I'm I'm interpreting the your your word purity um, in the same way that that you are. But as Great. I think about it, um, that idea that unity has value even without purity, I feel like part of what I consider to be um, crucial to the purity piece is our willingness to maintain the connections um, and welcome in people with differing opinions is part of that pure heart of um, sharing God's love with anyone. Um, And it increases our level of purity by um, welcoming in all of our sisters and brothers, potentially in Christ, Um, to draw in, to be like it was talking about in the scripture verse of, you know, we are to bring people to Christ through us. And that's part of the pure Christian heart to do that.
0: Yeah. I I love it, Wendy. Everything you said with, I completely agree. Um, When when I was talking about purity, I was thinking about it uh, in the sense of, you know, to make something pure means to make it basically identical, right? So if you're you're purifying gold, you're trying to get out all the dross so that it's all that same high quality, basically identical gold, right? Um, And in the debates within the church, the question of purity has usually been, do we agree on every topic the same or not, right? Or or do you have some heresy that I can find? I'll find your heresy and I'm going to root it out. Um, But your point about purity being Christ-likeness, I love it, right? Um, you can think of it in that way, absolutely, that, that we are called to have the, the love of God, um, even if we disagree. Yeah, totally. Agree.
2: Yeah,
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay, uh, I know I'm a little over. Um, uh, I, I really think, however, um, that this has been a good conversation. And I'm, I'm really grateful for y'all choosing to go with me in this crazy COVID season. And in this crazy political season, to have some edgy conversations has been fun. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, every week we've ended thinking about whether, um, whether being naive, that these little things we're talking about or these big things we're talking about could really change the tenor of a, of a conversation in a church or in a nation. Um, and I, every time I've said something similar, right? I don't think it's naive. Uh, that placing a value on unity changes how we approach conversations and conflicts not with a fear of conflict, but with a love of union. Um, And I think especially for us in the church to recognize there may be no singular more powerful example um, and proof of the love of Christ than us loving each other with the love of Christ. And if the world comes and sees Christians acting like Jesus towards each other, they're going to say, boy, I want a piece of that. And if the world comes and these Christians acting like regular people towards each other, they're going to say, well, you don't have anything unique at all. You're just like everybody else. You're just like the world. Um, and so I, I think this is just so incredibly important for us. Um, if we can honor and value our union in Christ and say, despite all that we disagree with, we agree on this, right? We agree that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Um, boy, it can, it can dramatically change our ability to impact um, the world with the gospel of Christ. So, uh, having said that, thanks so much for being with this these last six weeks. And let me close this in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we thank you for the incredible story that uh, you loved us enough to send your son into this world. We thank you that you loved us enough uh, to risk the union uh, that you had since before the creation of the universe when your son died for us and went to hell for us. And we thank you, Lord, that it turns out that incredible love that you share could conquer death itself. Uh, And we thank you that now, because we share that love, we get to conquer death itself. Uh, And we pray, Lord, that our lives could be daily evidence of uh, the love of a of a triune God and the way that we love one another and invite others into the story of Jesus as well. This we pray in His holy and powerful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.